Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA-certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. I was introduced to Fresh Roasted Coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or a pour-over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm your host, of course, Brad Gray. I'm the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church in Paxinos, Pennsylvania. Uh, hello out there to any of the uh, Stonington Baptist Church family that might be listening to this today. This is uh, volume two, so to speak, of Pastor Brad's Corner, uh, a little time where I can just kind of reflect on the past week, uh, share some uh, articles and stories, and just uh, some just uh, a hodgepodge of thoughts, so to speak, with you. Um, and I'm just really happy that uh, I'm here with you today, just uh, chatting and and uh, welcome to the corner, so to speak. Uh, so this past Sunday, we gathered again at uh, Stonington Baptist Church, and it was a good time to be uh, with the church family. It felt uh, more normal-ish, <laughs> uh, and uh, rightly so. We've been uh, doing our best to uh, to abide by all of the guidelines and regulations to make sure everyone is safe, but we are also doing what we can uh, to make sure that we are fulfilling our calling and our duty as a church to minister and to meet um, the, the church where they are, and you know, I was I've been thinking about this a lot, and 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 just the fact that that will look different for different churches, um, just how uh, different churches will. Uh, 
minister to their people in different ways. Uh, so too in this in this time time period, I, I think that there's you know there's a lot of of shots being sh- fired across the bow, so to speak, at different organizations and churches for doing things different ways. Well, that's not the way I'm doing it, so to speak. And and uh, I think that there has to be and there ought to be uh, a lot of grace given uh, both ways in that. Uh, you know, I, I there should be a lot of grace given for those who think that that everyone is reacting too strictly, and there should be a lot of grace given for those who think that they're acting, people are acting not strict enough. And it goes both ways. And uh, people are handling this in different ways. And therefore, we need to minister to people in different ways. And uh, I, the the determination uh, at Stonington Baptist is that we are gathering and doing our best to keep people safe, but we are doing so for the glory of God. Uh, not We're not making any sort of political statement. Or we're not making any sort of... Uh, we're not doing any sorts of things other than just this is for the people of God to worship the God that has saved them by grace. And we are doing that uh, for that reason alone. Um, and that is what is chiefly in my mind is um, ministering to the people of Stonington where they are and where they need to be ministered to and meeting their needs um, in this moment. And that means um, doing what we can uh, uh, to uh, make sure that those needs are, are met. And uh, And I think one of the ways that we have determined to do that is to gather again. So needless to say, all that to say, we did uh, gather on Sunday. Uh, it was a good time, blessed time. We I continued in my series going through the book of Mark. Um, that was part number 27. And uh, I finished up uh, chapter 12. Uh, we were talking about uh, Jesus's, uh, it's a truncated version of it, but Jesus's diatribe against the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, in Mark verses, tr- Mark 12 verses 38 through 40, uh, 40. Uh, it's a truncated version essentially of what you have in Matthew 23. Uh, Matthew 23 is, um, the same scene, just the longer version of that, uh, that really polemic sermon that, um, Jesus gives against the the false pretenses and the false religion and righteousness, the pseudo-righteousness, I could say, of the scribes that was just so evident. And it, it's almost like all of these interactions, all of these little uh, dust-ups with the scribes and Pharisees over the last, you know, years and months of ministry in Jesus's life kind of boiled up into this moment. And he lays into them uh, with no sort of beating around the bush uh, in terms of what he actually thinks about them and their, and their you know, false pretenses of religion. Their, their I hasten to say, leafy religion. Uh, I, I made that point, and I'll just kind of make that a point again, just to apply it again, because earlier in the in the in the chapter of, of Mark twelve, Jesus has this. We were talking about it. Remember the the really fascinating scene where Jesus lays a condemnation down on this fig tree, but he does so for as a really specific reason. It's because this fig tree has uh, pretended that it has a lot of fruit to be had on it. Uh, we made the point, and I, I strive to make the point that this tree has been noticed, it's noticed by the apostles and by Christ, uh, as being uh, full of leaves. 
Um, and that, that day, that meant that there was fruit to be had. There should have been fruit on that tree because of the evidence of leaves, because of their presence. And then when they get up to the tree, it says in Mark 12 that they found nothing but leaves. So you have to see this tree as sort of a stand-in for the religious elite of Jesus' day. And he's saying that uh, essentially they that's what they are like. These scribes and Pharisees, these chief priests and elders who have falsified their righteousness and religious claims are no better than this fig tree who has pretended to be uh, full of fruit to be had, ripe for the ripe for the eating and ripe for the ripe for the taking, so to speak. And then just like the tree where he where Jesus goes up to it and there's nothing but leaves it's emptiness it's pretend pretend religion the same as what he finds with the the pharisees with the scribes with these supposed lawyers they have all of the pretenses that they're religious with their law keeping with their with their strictness with their devoutness with their piety with what they claim to be adamant about what they claim to be so passionate about. And yet what Jesus finds when he goes into the temple is leafy religion. It's religion that has no substance, religion that has no fruit. It's all just a show. It's a sham. It's pretend. That's why Jesus is making such a bold statement when he says, for a pretense you make long prayers. You are doing things just to be seen by men, just to have uh, nice greetings. You just want to have the, the best seats in the house, the best seats at church, the best seats at the party. You want to be greeted by all the all the noblemen and the dignitaries. You want to be a dignitary yourself in this thing, in this society. You want all of those things for yourself. And that's really what he is he is so adamant about exposing, and he does so in, in Matthew's version for 30-odd verses. He lays all of these woes against the scribes and Pharisees, and he calls them hypocrites. Uh, what a great, um, what a, a great in its, in its terribleness in, in terms of its, its uh, almost uh, viciousness against these uh, scribes and Pharisees, these religious leaders of the day. But he calls them hypocrites over and over again in Matthew 23. And it's fascinating, uh, the point uh, that I made on Sunday, and it's one that I think is worth pointing out again. Uh, the word hypocrites that is used throughout Matthew 23 um, is actually a word that originates uh, from the world of the ancient Greek drama, uh, play, uh, uh, the plays, the, the stage player. It was a word for an actor, one who was actually uh, pretending to be someone that they weren't. And you see very clearly that what was on Jesus' mind, that they were play-acting their religion. They were having a lot of leaves without a lot of fruit. They were pretending they were religious and they were righteous, and really they weren't. Really they were just, as he says elsewhere in Matthew chapter 15, they were just blind guides leading the blind. <laughs> and they were... Uh, those who wanted to be seen as religious and righteous and and re uh, respected uh, by all those around them, and yet in the end, they ended up losing everything because they wanted those things above what truly mattered. As Jesus says in Matthew 23, uh, th they forgot the weightier things of the law, 
And this is what Jesus is is doing in a shortened version in Mark, but it's exactly what he's doing. He is he is coming out and exposing the falsehood, the the fallacies of the scribes and the Pharisees. And then in just the perfect way, and of course it's it's not by accident, but it's something that just it occurs in the temple. Jesus has just finished this incredibly vicious sermon, and he moves into the into a more inner court, and he starts observing all the people that are coming into the temple that day. And he observes this little poor widow, as it says there in Mark twelve, and she gives two mites, two of the smallest coins in circulation, and you can see. As Jesus says, assuredly, verily, amen is exactly what that word means. And he's confirming the fact that what she has just done is exactly what I'm looking for. Is exactly what I've been everywhere striving to inspire. It's faith that isn't looking to be seen, isn't looking to be noticed. Faith that is striving to be noticed isn't faith at all. It's exactly what he was just finished up saying. It's that's a pretense. It's falsehood. It's pretend. This little poor widow with the smallest offering that anyone could possibly ever give actually serves as the perfect sort of death nail, nail in the coffin to the pretend religiosity of the scribes and the Pharisees. And in that way, that's what I was striving to point out through that sermon, just in the in his warning and the witness, the witness of this this poor widow serves as the most as the perfect, I guess I could I would say it this way, the the perfect shot across the bow to the scribes and the Pharisees, it's it's showing them, even though he's teaching just the apostles, hey, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm, this is what I was exactly just talking about just prior. Uh, she has no pretense about her. She has no sort of flashy show. She has no leaves, you might say, and it's all fruit. Uh, she's bearing fruit with what she had, uh, and it's because of her faith. It's the faith that is okay with being unnoticed, okay with not being seen. Uh, and that's the point he was making. And to me, it's it's an incredibly important point. It's one that is um, certainly uh, one that Christ was everywhere trying to make throughout his ministry uh, on earth in, uh, in, in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. This is what he was everywhere trying to, to teach uh, through his parables, through his sermons, through all of these in, in, incredible instances, it's always just coming back to faith. Uh, and I'm finding that more and more as I go throughout this Gospel of Mark, is that it's not necessarily that the scribes and the Pharisees were doing uh, some sort of behavior that was incorrect, so to speak. Now, of course, they were in certain instances, but really what Jesus is really after is their faith. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees were putting their faith in their works, and whereas Jesus is everywhere trying to reorient them to say that you just put faith in one thing, you put it in Jehovah, you put it in me, essentially, is what he's trying to say between the lines a lot of times, is you put it in me, because I am God, I am Jehovah that has become enfleshed. And this is what his entire ministry is encapsulated by. Uh, inspiring faith in in those who otherwise were were caught up with their with their deeds with their pretenses of righteousness 
and um, th- that's what makes that that scene so fascinating to me. The scene at the end of Mark twelve. It's it's just it's just a, a riveting scene. One that surely has much. Uh, to say to us uh, now and always. Um, and I'm really looking forward to Sunday. Uh, this coming Sunday, uh, I'm going to be preaching from Mark chapter 13. Mark th- chapter 13 is uh, is comprised of what some have called the synoptic apocalypse. And that's just big words that, that mean that it's part of the synoptic gospels, uh, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, and it's it's the scene where Jesus kind of lays out what is going to happen in the end times, or at least that's what it appears like what he does um, in, in those verses. For 37 verses, it appears that if Jesus is almost giving us a a glimpse at what would later become more fleshed out in the Apostle John's book of Revelation. And um, I think that it has a lot more to say than just apocalyptic events. And uh, I think that's what I'm going to strive to point out uh, on Sunday, is that this scene, this scene of Jesus speaking to his apostles and telling them to be uh, watching uh, during these end times, is it, it's a fascinating instance of what was really on Jesus's mind. And I think the overarching meaning of it all is, is 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 it's going to be fascinating for us to to take a look at because it's not necessarily what we think it is but that's coming on Sunday that will be Mark chapter 13 if you're a Stoning Baptist church member I invite you to read those verses Mark chapter 13 verses 1 through 37 uh my goal is to cover all of them but uh, we'll see what the Lord does um but it'll be a fascinating way to uh, get ready for Sunday if you uh, have familiarized yourself with those verses ahead of time. Um, I wanted to point out a couple more things, uh, just kind of transitioning here. Uh, there's an article that's going to be up on Pastor Brad's, on the links that I like, uh, that's coming out tomorrow. Uh, my second volume of links I like uh, as I'm kind of getting back into sharing a lot more articles and stories that I find fascinating and interesting uh, with you. Um, but one that I wanted to highlight, it's old uh, in terms of its uh, when it was released and published, but it's one that I, I, I wanted to highlight because I want to be able to go back to these words. Um, it's an article uh, by Dr. Owen Strahan over on Reformando Ministries. Uh, Dr. Owen Strahan is a professor, a teacher, a scholar at uh, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, the seminary that I attend uh, right now. And he has this incredible article that I have just thought a lot about. It's called You're Going to Be Okay on Staying in the Pastoral Game. And he uh, rightly uh, harps on the senses that have been so um, uh, relevant and resonant with me uh, as I've stepped into pastoral ministry is just the seriousness the gloriousness, but the seriousness and the soberness that is required of one who is in the pastorate. Um, and he explains that, uh, this is Dr. Owen Strahan writing, he says, nothing on earth is more glorious than pastoral ministry, and nothing on earth is harder. Now, I've said the same thing, that I think uh, the pastor uh, has one of the most dangerous jobs in the world. And of course, no, that's not to say that he he's putting his life on the line, like so many other people. I, I would never say that. I would never try and take anything 
uh, away in terms of that type of danger. And that's not really the danger I'm talking about. Uh, certainly there's more uh, occupations and careers that have way more dangerous stakes, I would say, on a daily basis um, uh, than a pastor does. Yet in another way, I think there is a, a jeopardy that comes along with being a pastor, being one who is standing in front of people, shepherding them in God's eternal world. And I think I mentioned this on the last Pastor Brad's Corner, but it's just something that's really present on my mind, just that you're shepherding them into eternity uh, by what you say. You have souls that are put under your care. And in fact, Dr. Owen Strahan writes that. He says this, pastoral ministry is the shepherding of souls to glory. It is supernatural work. By definition, there can be no weightier, heavier labor on planet. No stakes are higher than these, that you would lead the people of God to know the living God. Those are strong words uh, that Dr. Owen writes. Words that I think ought to make anyone who is in the pastorate, myself included, or anyone who is thinking about it, uh, take a serious introspective look at their motivations for pastoral ministry. This is something I strive to keep present at the front of my mind. Uh, what is my goal? Now, there's a lot of things that some people might see as 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 sort of self-aggrandizing or, or self-promoting, and I I strive in, in the deepest part of me to make everything that I do, uh, do it only for Jesus's glory, for the shepherding of other people into God's grace. Uh, and that, that's what I want to do. And that's what I strive to do. And, and, and that's what I everywhere want to be known for as one who shepherds people uh, by God's grace into God's grace and learning more and more about what this grace does for them on a daily basis throughout their entire lifetime. It's not something that they outgrow. It's something that they grow deeper into. And I think that that's something that is passionate uh for me about pastoral ministry. Um, and it's something that I think that should resonate with pastors everywhere. Uh, listen, as Dr. Owen writes, he says this, quote, 500 years after the Reformation, we must recover a sense of the highness of the pastoral call. In 2019, the pastorate is chewed up and burned over. Many today associate the role of a pastor with a kind of spiritual carnival barker. Pastors get up, tell some jokes, muse on a spiritual theme for a little while, and then close the shop down. They do no harm. They say nothing offensive. They make no waves. Like a leaf blown into the sea, they leave and are born away, and you never know they were there. The biblical vision, he continues, of the pastor is very different. The biblical pastor traffics in the business of eternity. The biblical pastor is the figure who looks closely at the fires of hell, sees people stumbling drunken that, drunkenly that way, and calls them away from the fire. The biblical pastor is the one appointed by God to be present with people in the most sacred moments of their lives, marriage, ravaging illness, the birth of children, weekly feeding on the word. All this is glorious. End quote. Truly, uh, it is a remarkable responsibility, uh, and it, but it, I think it is also a glorious privilege to be called into pastoral ministry, one in which I am 
forever thankful that God has put me into this position and has allowed me uh, to uh, meet the people that I've been allowed to meet and to minister to the people that I'm allowed to minister to and to uh, learn the things that I've been allowed to learn about myself and about spirituality, about the gospel, about truth, about God himself. And I pray that I continue to learn those things. And I pray that um, God's grace and, and, and spirit safeguard my soul from all the the distractions and the dangers that this world um, can throw at me as I'm uh, in, in in this public ministerial sphere, so to speak. And uh, I pray that um, he keeps me uh, focused on what my calling is about, which is, again, shepherding souls into glory by God's grace. Um, and that kind of leads me to the next thing I just want to comment on quickly. Um, is uh, So I'm in seminary. I'm, I'm uh, going to do some summer classes uh, this summer. I'm actually going to take a class on Baptist history, um, which I'm really excited about, kind of learning the roots of the Baptist denomination. Um, and it's definitely from a Southern Baptist bent. Uh, I've, I've recently... Uh, I recorded a podcast with one of my friends, uh, Dr. Abi Todd. Um, Abi is a pastor as well as an incredible scholar and thinker, and he is a Southern Baptist by denominational uh, trade, so to speak. And um, I am not, though. Uh, the church, and for, I mean, my whole life, I have been more of an independent Baptist. And um, Although I attend a Southern Baptist seminary, um, I am not necessarily a Southern Baptist by uh, by trade, so to speak. Um, and so I, I think it's really interesting for me, but I wanted to make this comment because I think it's important, that I am interested in Southern Baptist, uh, their present moment, and also their history, because um, not a lot of people in the colloquial sphere uh, the colloquial world, uh, society at large, will make a, a distinction between a Baptist and an independent Baptist. Uh, they aren't going to cut that line. They're not going to. They're not going to split that hair, so to speak, in a lot of instances. Whereas we who are in the church, church goers, will will make that distinction, and rightfully so. Um, but a lot of other people aren't going to make that distinction necessarily, and and so. Um, uh, that's why I'm interested just to kind of see how people view and are reacting and commenting and, and sort of uh, make remarking on Southern Baptists, you know, present moments and their controversies and all those sorts of things. It's because it's important for me because that's just kind of we're kind of lumped into that same category. Um, but anyways, I think that's a really interesting way to look at things. And so uh, I'm really interested in Southern Baptist history just because it, it's, it tells me a lot about even my own, even though I'm not a Southern Baptist. Um, who are, I'm reading this book uh, entitled The SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention in the 21st Century, Reflection, Renewal, and, Re and Recommitment. It's essentially a, 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 a collection of essays and talks uh, from a uh, symposium that was actually held at uh, Midwestern uh, camp, uh, campus a couple of years ago by a lot of very uh, sort of the uh, prominent SBC leaders. Um, and one of the one of the chapters, uh, there's something that stood out to me, and it's not really tied to any sort of historical or or uh, sort of contemporary uh, SBC, you know anecdote or anything like that. It's more just general ministerial stuff. And it's something that really stood out to me. It's in, a, in one of the, the um, 
essays, uh, Tom Rayner actually writes it. It's called By the Numbers, What SBC Demographics Tell Us About Our Past, Present, and Future. And he's writing on just these different things that, uh, statistics that might surprise you uh, and, and such. And one of the lines he has that has stood out to me is this one. He writes, quote, A church that does not have intentionality about evangelism is unlikely to be evangelistic. And he continues, We may not be reaching people for Christ because we are not trying to reach people for Christ. Uh, I don't know about you, but those words really hit me hard. Um, it's so easy to make excuses for why uh, I don't uh, go about evangelizing. We could say, oh, it's the culture, oh, it's it's the demographic of people, oh, it's, the, it's this or it's that and whatever. And I think to a certain degree that's true, uh, it's to a certain degree that the way uh, the current generation uh, lives and acts and what they value and all those sorts of things is markedly different uh, than a lot of generations prior. And uh, they don't always react to the same sorts of things in the same sorts of ways as in previous generations. But I will say this too, that evangelism, telling people about Jesus and reaching people for Christ, is not something that is distinctive uh, between generations. It's something that is the same. It's just telling people about Jesus and if you aren't intentional about that, isn't it unlikely that you're going to be evangelistic by nature? That's something that I am just, I'm convicted by, uh, to be honest with you, um, because I, I think of moments when I could have or should have, or I just got scared, perhaps, I, I, I'm not quite sure, of telling, you know, a stranger about Jesus, asking them about their eternity, asking them about their soul. And am I intentional about that? I would have to confess and say, no, I'm not. Uh, it's something that I definitely want to be. I definitely want to be more intentional. Uh, I think it's it's something that I definitely want to be more intentional, I will say personally, uh, in, in that sense that I mean uh, in face-to-face in -face interactions. It is so easy to, um, you know, write a blog and put up a blog and say, look at what I've done for Jesus. And I think there's a lot of value in that. Um, I, the reason why I continue to blog even even now is to, it's, it's the way I can, I can think and, 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 and think through uh, certain uh, topics and I can articulate those better through writing. That's why I've struggled to keep a podcast um, uh, current is because I can just think better through writing than I can through any other medium. And um, it, it, there, there's definitely value, at least for me personally, there's value in, in writing and blogging and those sorts of things. But I think there is to say that you can blog and that is fulfilling the Great Commission, I think, is a grave misstep. And I think to a lot of extent, some people might have done that. And to I would say in a lot of ways that I have done that too. And I'm guilty of that, as guilty as anyone. But there's a a marked difference between writing a blog on grace and putting it up than there is actually talking to someone about grace or not even talking about grace, but just talking to someone and exemplifying grace in your conversation. 
uh, with someone who is struggling, with someone who is hurting, with someone who doesn't know Jesus and is going through a storm in their life. And I think that's what I'm praying to do um, throughout the rest of the years of my ministry, throughout the rest of the years of my life, is be intentional about being evangelistic, being intentional about sharing the good news, uh, about sharing this message of grace upon grace with people I don't know. Um, it, it, that line just really convicted me. We may not be reaching people for Christ because we are not trying to reach people for Christ. We are just kind of letting our actions speak without actually speaking. And there's a lot of thoughts we could get into, but I just, I'll just leave you with that. Just think about those lines, those words. A church that does not have an intentionality about evangelism is unlikely to be evangelistic. Does that describe you? Um, I pray that that doesn't describe uh, Stonington Baptist Church. And I, I, of course, we all go through seasons of, of where we are less sort of focused on what we should be focused on than, than in other seasons of life and all that kind of stuff. But really what I'm, I'm trying to get at is, are you intentional about sharing your faith? And if you are, uh, or if you aren't, why? And if you are, what are some ways that you have been able to share your faith? What's a, what's a, what's a good story, a good news story about sharing your faith with someone that you didn't know? Um, I would love to hear that. If you have a story about sharing your faith that you would like to share with me, be sure to uh, send me a message, uh, send me an email, uh, put, it, put it in the comments to this show. I'd love to hear from you. But I pray that this has been a blessing to you. Uh, thank you for visiting Pastor Pratt's Corner. Uh, I've, it's been a joy to just kind of reflect and chew and meditate on some things. And I hope that you have been able to meditate on them as well. And I pray that you have uh, a blessed weekend. And I hope that uh, if you're listening and you attend Stonington or are a member at Stonington Baptist Church, I pray I can see you on Sunday. If not, you can be sure to join the live stream of our church service. Uh, but thanks so much for listening. Uh, I pray that you have uh, a blessed weekend and I'll try and see you on the next episode uh, whenever that comes out. <laughs> uh, have a good one. Blessings. Blessings.